Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Ooh, glory to God, that was awesome, was it not? We got a, a, a lone clapper, but that's okay, the Lord heard it, it's all good. Hey, so... I'm not really sure how this sermon's going to go today, so I'm going to need some support for some folks. Um, and the reason why I say that is because this sermon could go either way, because if it's based upon my morning, you're, it may be a little troublesome, because I started my morning off, as I do every morning on Sunday morning, I got up early, wanted to prepare my heart, prepare my mind to preach this message. I went over and I made myself a pour over coffee and everything was great. Everything was awesome. The house is still. I make, I make my coffee. I carry my coffee. As I'm carrying it from where I make the coffee over to my chair where I'm going to study, I had to sneeze. And it was, it was one of those things where it was a full cup of coffee. I was like, I want the full cup this morning. And so I'm about to sneeze, and I was like, I thought it had, had it under control. And, and it, was, it was okay for a minute. I was like, I was talking myself down a little bit. I was like, it's going to be all right. By the way, we have like a, a white or cream-colored rug that's in between where I make my coffee and where I sit in the chair. So I'm like, this could go bad. And I'm, I'm like, I'm going, and I, I was like, oh, I finally made it. And then just about a, an inch from putting my cup on the end table, I sneezed and wow, coffee all over the place. Didn't make it on my Bible, made it on everything else. And to make matters worse, I sat down, I recovered, I cleaned my mess up. I sat down, had some time with the Lord, had some time in the Word. Everything's going awesome. And so I'm sitting there, and then a book falls, actually my Bible, my men's Bible study book, falls down from the stack of books where my Bible is, because I'm holy. And uh, anyway, so there's a stack of books right next to my chair. It fell Knocked the same coffee cup over that was about halfway empty. I caught that joker when it was about that, like upside down, and then the rest of it fell on the ground. So that's how my morning started. Good morning to you. Um, so just so you know, this message could go either way. It could be a real stinker. It could be awesome. I don't know. I'm trusting God's going to do something awesome, even though uh, my morning has not been awesome. So if you have been journeying along with us in this series, you know that we have been talking about habits, and we've been talking about certain types of habits that we need to have, that habits that identify with who we are and who we're becoming. So we should form habits around that, but also we talked about there are some habits that we have are not so good of habits, and there are habits, and we have the power to be able to stop bad habits. And then I also added in how we can actually start good habits. When there's a habit there for us, we can start good habits, and in the middle of this Uh, Chris preached a message on how to make prayer a habit because without God, all of this implodes. We need God for everything. Amen? We need him for everything. Just in case your morning's about to implode because you're dumping coffee all over the place, you need Jesus all the time, just like me. Well, this week is is kind of a touchy week and a touchy topic that not a lot of people like to talk about. But we're going to answer this question how can I continue the habits that I need so I can have the life that I want? How can I continue the habits that I need so I can have the life that I want? 
So assuming that, that you've already decided and God's helped you decide and he's empowering you to get rid of some bad habits and you've decided that you're going to add some new habits into your life, how is it that now you can continue those habits that you decided to keep? Maybe it's the, the first of the, after the first year you made a, a decision, I'm going to do this and you set a goal for 2023 and beyond and maybe that goal, maybe it's kind of shaky, I don't know. Maybe you're still rocking on with it, but how can you continue the habits that you need so you can have the life that you want. I want to encourage you with this. It's the small things that no one sees, the results in the big things that everybody wants. So it's, it's the small things that no one else sees that results in the big things that everybody wants. Every person that you see either has it together, whether financially, relationally, spiritually, or physically, whatever area of their life, there are habits, there are things that they have in their life that you don't see. Oftentimes, because the life we live in, we look at the highlight reel of someone's life or we're not really entrenched in their life enough to see the struggle that they've endured and how God has brought them through. So instead, what we tend to think is their life's awesome. It comes easy to them. So there's nothing I can learn from them. However, the good thing we can learn from these type of people, people who we would deem are successful in whatever area, whatever area that you want to form good habits around, whoever that is and and however it is that they're doing it, I guarantee it comes back to some small things that you don't see that adds up to the life that ultimately maybe you want and also the big results that I think everybody wants. An example of this would be through Kobe Bryant, also known as the Black Mamba. I was a a Lakers fan until said player moved to the Lakers and I'm no longer a Lakers fan. I will be shortly. I'm not saying names, but I'm thinking his name. Something significant about Kobe Bryant that was interesting, if you look at the highlight reel, you can go to YouTube right now and there's hours of highlight reels of Kobe Bryant because he was one of the best basketball players of all time. He didn't spend any time in college, went right from high school right into the pros. Even in, even in high school, he had an incredible work ethic that he would go in for two hours before practice started at 5 o'clock in the morning, two hours before school, before practice, to start developing his skills before everybody else showed up to actually play this sport. He was so driven by it. That didn't stop. Then even when he got into the NBA in the off season, when some players are going off and they're vacationing in Maui or wherever they're going where people can afford to go with all that money, he didn't leave basketball like they left basketball. They wanted to, Many of them want to break from basketball and walk away or sports in general. Kobe Bryant had a unique way of training in the off season. It's known as, he called it the 666 workout, and no, it's not of the devil, just so you know. His 666 workout was this. He worked out, this was the six months not in basketball season. He worked out for those six months, six days a week, six hours a day. Six months out of the year, 666. So driven in that way. He divided his his hours of training up into two hours of track work, two hours of basketball drills, and then two hours of weightlifting with some cardio on top of that. Notice how very, very little of that actually had to do with basketball in a given day. This is the type of stuff he did without a camera in his face or without a reporter asking him what he's doing. He was just doing these, these things and making these small commitments, and that helped develop him to be the player that he was. And again, he even developed this as a high schooler. Now, you may be thinking, you know, I, I get it. That's that's like, that's intense. And that, that intense workout, it is of the devil. Maybe you're convinced of that. 
And maybe that's not your story, but I, I go and I give you this, this incredible story because he is someone that everybody looked at the high, highlight reel of his life and said, wow, look at incredible things are happening through him and he's so successful. But yet he was doing the work when nobody else was watching that made him the type of person that other people would notice. So it is with you and I. And you also see this with Kobe Bryant's story and many other people's stories who are, who are successful. Again, this is not just in some athletic or academic realm or, or even a professional realm, but even in the spiritual life, this is true. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Successful people do consistently. If you were to look at the Hebrews in Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, at the, at the Hall of Faith, and these incredible people, incredibly flawed people, but incredible people, they're known for what they did, but yet it was the fact that they did small things in connecting with God, that they were communing with God on a regular basis that allowed them and equipped them to have the faith to overcome obstacles and opposition and, and to bring forth the gospel message. It's because successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. We're going to talk about, and if you see the title of today's message, it's discipline. And we often treat discipline like an overdue dentist appointment. It's like, yeah, I know I should go, but my tooth doesn't hurt too bad. I can, you know, I, I, yeah, sure, I, I, I started with Tylenol, and that didn't work. But it's okay, because I can take ibuprofen every two hours you know, or every four hours, however it goes. And it's like, I can just, I can do, it doesn't hurt. My, my tooth's not too sensitive. That's fine. I can cram my tooth with wax so it's not sensitive every time I drink something or eat something. Like, oftentimes that's how we treat discipline. Like, it's, it's that long overdue dentist appointment. Like, I'm just going to avoid it. But yet, if we don't have a life with discipline, we have to resort to willpower. And this is not the best course of action for the Christian life. Some of us are highly disciplined. Some of us not so much. Some of us don't want to be disciplined. Some of us want to be more disciplined. We can be disciplined for the wrong things. We can be disciplined for the right things. But I've seen many Christians try to live off willpower alone and not the Spirit of God. I'll illustrate it in a very simple, very simple way. If you're somebody who's going to take, uh, somebody who's taking notes, you'll be able to fill this in and, and help to, uh, once I bring the illustration, you'll understand it. Willpower is a momentary burst of focused energy, while self-discipline is structured, well thought out, and consistent. It's, it's two different things. Both are important. One, I think, is more important. I'll illustrate it in this way. So say, this is a donut, by the way, white icing, vanilla. It smells great. You can't smell it. I can. I get the delight of that. Say for you, just hold that on the screen for a little bit, Nick. The willpower is this momentary burst of focused energy. So you're going through the break room at work, right? You're in there. You're, you're kind of hungry. And, and maybe for you, you have this, this commitment that you've made at the beginning of the year that you're going to lose 20 pounds over the next six months. Absolutely doable. 20 pounds, six months. I can do this. And yet you started just full of gusto. I can do it. I've got a plan. I've got encouragement. I've got all the things. Like, I can do this. And yet someone put a sign that says free donuts in the break room and they're just sitting there you don't have to wonder if you're taking somebody else's breakfast or somebody else's snack it's free donuts 
It's in the break room. And you're the only one there. So you walk through the break room. If you just have willpower, you walk by the donut and you're like, get behind me, Satan, I'm not eating this donut today. And you walk on. That's willpower. It worked in that moment. It worked. Awesome. But yet in your mind, you remember how that donut smelled. You were thankful that that donut wasn't a chocolate donut because you could resist because you don't really like chocolate anyway. But it was a vanilla donut. And you really liked those. And it wasn't too big and it wasn't too small and it would satisfy. And after all, who doesn't like a good donut? You see, the difference between willpower and self-discipline is willpower will allow you to walk by the donut one time while self-discipline allows you to walk by the donut every time. Because self-discipline comes in and says, I'm not the type of person who has to struggle with, with this anymore because I made a commitment to myself and I made a commitment to God and maybe you invited other people in to help encourage you and equip you and hold you accountable to say, now I'm not the type of person who struggles with donuts anymore. That's completely different than willpower because if you just result on, on willpower, as soon as you get tired, as soon as you get hungry, as soon as you get hangry, guess what? You're tearing that donut up. It isn't about donuts, by the way. So don't think, we're like, well, pastor doesn't eat donuts. So that's the reason why he's talking about it. And I do. He's talking about me. Sorry. Has nothing to do with really donuts. It has to do with willpower and self-discipline. Because many of us, we only trust in what we can control. And that is based off of willpower and not on the power and strength that God provides. That comes by way of self-discipline and self-control. That, after all, in Galatians 5, Galatians 5, that is one of the fruits of the Spirit. But oftentimes when we get into list in the Bible, we start out strong. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and the wheels start coming off. And then at the end, and you're like, and self-control. And like you miss it. But it's there. It's there as much as love and joy and peace and patience and the other things as well. The goal is for us not to have to just live off of willpower. You see, self-discipline helps you to embody and create habits that are good for you, they're good for the goals that God has for you, especially those spiritual goals. So it's not just your willpower, but it's God's power working through you. As a philosopher said, we are what we repeatedly do. We are what we repeatedly do. But a clear example of why we are wildly inconsistent can be found in a passage that we discussed in week one. In Romans 7, verse 15, let's look there for a moment. A couple verses, we'll jump back into this. I introduced them early in the series intentionally. That way the thought would maybe linger and I could touch on it this week and maybe even in a, a week or two after this one. But this is what the Apostle Paul said. As an explanation as to why, why we're widely inconsistent in our habits and we're widely inconsistent in our beliefs and our behaviors. While we're widely consistent and sometimes we resort to willpower and not the Spirit of God working through us. The Apostle Paul wrote this in verse 15. I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Verse 18. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, then I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me 
that does it, the Apostle Paul says. And then he says in verse 24, he says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, he says, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying, if I just resort to myself, he's like, this is the reason why I'm widely inconsistent. He's like, every time that I set out to do the right thing and I fail in doing the right thing, it's not actually the best part of me. Instead, it's sin living in me that is driving that behavior. And he says the only way to be, to be right and the only way to not have that sin that dominates our life is what he celebrates in verse 25. And he says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer for what plagues us is in Jesus Christ our Lord. If you would go to the right just a couple chapters into Romans 5. It's actually to the left, sorry. I just want to show you just briefly what the Apostle Paul had already said about this type of behavior. And I think this explains a lot of the situations that we find ourselves in. It doesn't matter if you are not a Christian at all or if you've been a Christian for a long time or if you're just just beginning your Christian walk. I think there's something here that pertains to all of our lives. Romans 5, verse 6. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Rome and and also to us today. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still stuck, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, meaning through Jesus? Verse 10. For if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And in verse 19, same chapter, the Apostle Paul explains the sin problem, the iniquity problem that we face. Verse 19 says this, For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So so the Apostle Paul is presenting two different ways to live. He says, we all come into this world with the sin of Adam that plagues us. All of us. We're born with it. The, the theological term is imputed sin. We, are, we just have it. We're in, endued with sin. We walk through our lives. It doesn't take very long if you've had a toddler and you've realized that they're sinners too. That the cute and cuddly thing, it's like, oh, they're so cute. And then they get mean just overnight. Something happens. Remember, and then, and then you blamed it on your spouse. You said they're acting just like you. Remember that? You did that back and forth. So he's saying you can, you can be living and stuck in that way, or you can be on the other side where you're actually living in victory through Jesus. 
That now you're, now you're not just struggling with the original sin and struggling with the sin of Adam, but instead you actually have a power to overcome. You don't have to result to willpower. Instead, you can have the Spirit of God empowering you. And he says, and the way to actually gain freedom is to have the Spirit of God that empowers you. And he talks about this other bit of righteousness. And it's, again, a theological word. It's imputed righteousness. Those of us who repented of our sin and asked Jesus to forgive us and acknowledge that he's God and that we're not... And he resurrected from the dead. When we confess and repent of our sins, we have this imputed righteousness. We have the righteousness of Jesus that that now is our righteousness. So no more do we have to live stuck in the mud, stuck in our sin, stuck in our iniquity. Now we have we we can actually choose God because God chose us first. That's a great place to name in, by the way. Like now we have a choice, and he says in verse nineteen, he, he creates this. This viewpoint of life. And there's no in-between. There's no, well, I'm working on it. There's no, well, I'll get there eventually. There's no more, you know what, I'm just going to live my life, and then when I get older, I'm going to surrender to Jesus. There's no middle ground. The Apostle Paul lines it out for us. It's either we are stuck in our sin, or we are alive in Christ. There, There is no third option. And I know we love, we love to speak of gray things, and we love to, to, to kind of parse it out. There is no parsing out, scripturally. We're either without Christ or we're in Christ. And if we're without Christ, we have to resort to our own willpower to do anything. And yet if we're in Christ, we can actually have, we can have self-control, which is actually spirit control. Spirit-empowered life. So what might we do to be right? What might we do? We might just surrender to Jesus and four disciplines around that identity. That's what we might ought to do. Just surrender to Jesus and form disciplines around that identity. Not the the fallen identity that was passed down to us through Adam, but instead the identity that we have in, in a life connected with God. To just surrender to Jesus and say, I just can't do it. You know, it's interesting because willpower and, and even self-discipline is, it can be a tricky thing because we can actually have willpower and we can have self-discipline for the wrong things. We can actually leverage a lot of energy and a lot of our potential and a lot of our future for smaller things than what God would want us to. There's a story I read in, in a book in preparing for this. Clayton Christensen, he, this is a quote from him. He says, over the years I've watched the fates of my Harvard Business School classmates in 1979 unfold. I've seen more and more of them come to reunions unhappy, divorced, and alienated from their children. So they've gone to Harvard Business School full of potential, smart, ACT, SAT scores just skyrocketing. The top of their class probably are are close to it or else they wouldn't be in Harvard Business School. And you would think they would just have a ton of potential. And they're chasing after some things. He continues... After he says, I've seen more and more of them come to reunions unhappy, divorced, and alienated from their children, he says, I can guarantee you that not a single one of them graduate with the deliberate strategy of getting divorced and raising children who become estranged from them. And yet a shocking number of them implemented this strategy. So he says, I watched her example and I started a new strategy. I decided to spend an hour every night reading, thinking, and praying about why God put me on this earth. You see, we can become 
self-discipline, and we can have willpower for lesser things. And we can waste a lot of energy. We can even waste our lives in many ways in, in chasing things that aren't the things that God wants for us. And I tell you this story because this is someone that the world would have said he had a ton of potential. He was in, they were all in position. They were all graduates of Harvard Business School. They weren't dropouts. They all made it through. You think, wow, they're successful. And yet their home life was imploding because they were chasing a lesser thing than the best thing. So Christensen said, I noticed their example, and I did a 180. And instead, I decided to start asking God, why am I on this earth? Perhaps that's a place for you and I to start this morning, to ask the question, why am I here on this earth, and then what habits do I need to have? And what discipline do I need to have to keep these habits going? You see, discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Discipline is choosing what you want now and what you want most. And to see the difference, to say, no, 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 I'm not going to take the bait on this. Instead, I'm going to pursue something greater. God's story, God, what God, the story that God's writing in me is so compelling, I don't want to waste it on trivial things. I don't want to waste my life on trying to chase and pad up my 401k. I don't want to do that. I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to waste my life and spend my whole life working overtime and, and just so I can maybe retire and, and be disconnected from other people and to just live the, le- the rest of my life lazy, disconnected from God and other people. Maybe and just say, God, I just don't, that's not my story. That's not the best thing. That's not the Christian life, by the way. Because the Christian life is, yes, you may have wealth and you may have a 401k and you may have a retirement, but don't waste your retirement on you because you never retire from the kingdom of God, ever. You never retire from the kingdom of God. You may give up, you may stop, but you never retire from the kingdom of God. Discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. If you think about any area of your life that you deem that you may be successful, it's because you've made a a decision for a long-term gain. And yet, the flip side of that is also true. The areas of your life that are out of control, more than likely, you're not thinking long-term about the long-term effects of the decisions you're making and the habits you have. Instead, you're thinking about now, my comfort now, based off of my future then. Discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. If we're to form a strategy, I I think one of the best things that we could do is take the strategy that the Apostle Paul talked about in Philippians. His words are common to a lot of us if we've been around church, but in, in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, this is how... He explained the situation that he's in and, and how he views the Christian life. And by the way, he's, he's in a prison. He's not in a prison like we would have in America, more like uh, home confinement but with a, with a few rights, but yet he's still a prisoner. And, and this being one of his prison letters, this is what he said in explaining his pursuits with God. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, meaning perfection and completeness with God. He's like, I don't have it all together spiritually. Anybody else like that? I just don't have it all together spiritually. He's like, I I, I don't want you to be misled. I I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these these things and that I've already reached perfection. 
Perfection, you could think of perfection as just being mature or full-grown rather than maybe in somebody who's underdeveloped. So don't get lost on that word. But notice what he says next. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. There's the repetitive word perfection there. I explained that, but then there's also the repetitive word of pressing on. And the word pressing on, it would mean this, to pursue toward a goal. To pursue toward a goal. So the the image that came to mind and what would have been relevant in his day would be a runner who, who begins a race and that In the the beginning, middle, and the end of the race, this runner is just running full bore. And although they're about to cross the tape and they can't even see the opposition behind them, they cross the tape running just as hard as they did when they came out of the gate. That type of mentality, that type of, of mindset, that type of faith. He says, I press on like this, that I stay focused. I'm not looking to to my left, I'm not looking to my right. I'm I'm forgetting the past. I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. And he says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ is calling us. He says, I don't have time to spend another moment or a bout of my energy on frivolous things. He says, I am pressing on with the discipline that God provides, and I am staying laser-focused on my future. I'm forgetting my past. I'm not wondering what's going on to my right and to my left. Instead, I'm moving forward by God's grace. That's the same type of mindset and heart set we have to have when we're trying to reach spiritual goals or any other goals that God would have prompted your heart to have and as you've developed habits around those goals. It's the same mentality. It's the same focal point that the Apostle Paul talks about here. I think when, when we start talking about discipline, we can easily end up in two different camps, and they're both wrong. We can either end up in the camp of, well, I've got to do it all myself. Can anyone give a testimony to say that doesn't work? You can do it for a while, but that doesn't work long term. So that's that's one ditch that, that we tend to fall into in situations like this. We tend to think, well, I just have to do it all. The weight's all on my shoulder. Jesus, come and help me. And he's like, I'd love to help you. You just keep doing it all yourself. You're not even asking me. You're not, you're not trusting me. There's no faith in what you're doing. No wonder you're tired. No wonder you're exhausted. Because you're the only one carrying the yoke. The other side of it is, it's the unbiblical let go and let God perspective. Well, I'm going to do nothing and trust God to do everything. I'm just going to sit here, and if God wants to grow me spiritually... He's just going to have to grow me spiritually. And when I decide to come to church and if I decide to read my Bible and when I find it convenient to be in life group and if I want to be a Bible study, if I want to go to that event, if I want to serve, if I want to do this, if I want to decide to pray. But you know what? If I do those things, that's up to me. And what God wants to do, that's up to him. You see, both of these approaches are wrong. 
And yet the reality is it's in the middle. Yes, we have some things that we need to do, but at the same time trusting God to do what only he can do. It's working with God. Not the let go, let God, unbiblical model of like, I'm going to do nothing, just wait for Jesus to come. Or the other side, all of this is about me. And unfortunately, if you've been around church for a while, you've seen both of those perspectives, and what you've probably seen is disappointment from both of those perspectives. The Apostle Paul, he shares more about this. If you have your Bible, go into 1 Corinthians 9, if you would. Verse 24 and 25. The church in Corinth was a little spiritually flabby. Here's what I mean. They, they weren't pursuing God like they should. They were fussing and fighting over frivolous things. They were using their spiritual gifts in such a way to make themselves look good compared to somebody else. And it was making chaos happen in their church services. So the Apostle Paul, he blows all this up. And there's all sorts of theological issues and uh, things that were happening too. They're like right smack dab in the middle of some of this dialogue. The Apostle Paul says, he says this. And it, this would have been so on point with what they would understand in their culture. He says, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets a prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. You see, there are crowns awaiting us in heaven. What the Apostle Paul talks about here, he's talking about this area around Corinth. There was uh, some Ithmian games. I don't know how it's pronounced exactly. I gave it a shot. But, and I say it differently every time. So if I say it again, don't judge me. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I, I say it wrong. And so these games, they happen every two years. They, are, they were so important, they were only second to the Olympic Games in their time frame. So it was really important. And, and around this whole area, they would know all about these games. Because the people who were competing in these games would be competing for 10 months. And they were competing in public. They, they wanted them to compete in public because if they competed in public, they had very strict things that they had to do just to be qualified to, to even compete in the, in the race. So they wanted them to compete in public and because they didn't have you know, things like we do now, gymnasiums and such. But they would compete in public. So if somebody were to see them training in such a way or doing something that was not within the rules, they would be rejected and disqualified from even competing. So the Apostle Paul draws upon this understanding that they would have. It was like as if the Olympics were in town, like right now. And everything would be about the Olympics. Everything in this area, they knew all about these games. And he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. It was a crown of celery, by the way. So literally, it would not last. He says, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever, verse 25. In 2 Timothy 4.8, this crown, there's a crown that's known as a crown of righteousness. 
In 1 Peter 5, 4, there's just another reference to this crown. It's the crown of glory. In James 1.12, there's another reference to the crown, and this is what James wrote. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. So many examples. And yet, the Apostle Paul is trying to get them and us to understand that when we do things and we have discipline or form disciplines within the Christian life, it is for a good purpose. It's, it's not like the purpose of when I went to West School. By the way, I was told this and it was brainwashed. West is still the best in the whole U.S. I was told that at growing up. So it just, it's got to be true. The teachers wouldn't lie. And so I was told that for years. But I remember we would go in the gymnasium and then they would have us start with stretches. Good thing to do. But they even had a stretch before square dancing. Square dancing. Let me, just, let me just do a deep dive and just like offload some things about square dancing, okay? If you've done it and you're good at it, that's awesome. I'm not, not really good at it and don't, don't really care to be good at it, truthfully. But if you are, that's great. Rock what you got. Yeah, that's good. You got it. <laughs> some things about square dancing, though, in grade school is they would, they would try to pair everybody up, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, right? And everybody would align and they would like try and do the math. Okay, I'm the third one in the back because I want to be with such and such. And I was never the one who was up front. I was always one of the laggards. I was always one of the ones, that, that, the boys who were sweating in the back, hoping that we had an even amount of boys and girls. Because if not, that meant that two dudes were square dancing together. I'm just saying that's awkward. Even, even in grade school, that's awkward. And, but I have no idea why they would have us do stretches before square dancing. I mean, I've done some do si dos I never pulled anything. I don't even know why. I don't know why. Just had to. But West is the best in the whole U.S., so apparently they knew what they were talking about. Sometimes when we we think about discipline in the Christian life, we think it's kind of like stretching before square dancing. We're like, I don't get it. What's the connection here? I don't get what's the point. The point the Apostle Paul is trying to make to you and I is... Christians don't get disciplined to get to heaven, nor are we saved by running the race and winning. We run the race because we're saved and have already won. He's wanting to flip the script on our understanding. Christians don't get disciplined so now I can go to heaven. You see, that's a works-based salvation. That's legalism. That's not the gospel. And nor are we saved just because we've ran our own race and because we think we've won it. We run the race as Christians because we are saved and we've already run. Because we've already pressing towards the goal and the goal being Christ. And we know that awaits us. We know that there's a crown of righteousness. We know there's a crown of life. And we know that that is what is in front of us. So we form disciplines and we have habits to help us to go from where we are spiritually to where we need to be spiritually. And we form disciplines in between with the, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Continue in the passage. I'm going to drive it home. Hopefully. Verse 26 says this, Therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it a slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be qualified or disqualified 
for the prize. So he says, I run with purpose, is what the New Living Translation says. I run with purpose in every step. And I'm not just shadow boxing. To set up this next analogy, I've asked that Nick would play this song. Let's see if it'll play for us. Perfect, perfect. Thank you very much. Now I have your attention. The apostle, I'm not going to do some Rocky montage, by the way. You're like, you don't put, just put your phones in your pocket, people. I'm not, okay? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not giving you that. What the apostle Paul is saying is he compares himself, A, to a runner. He's like, I'm not going to compete in a race if I don't know that there's a finish line. And then he says, I'm not just going to shadow box. I'm not just going to box the air. A boxer doesn't go into strict training just so he can sit in front of the mirror, you know, or do some Rocky montage and cue the music and everything's like this. He's like, I don't do that because if I did that, that would be frivolous. He said, so instead I go into, and he uses these words, these forceful words. He says, I beat my body. I discipline my body. I form a disciplined life, relationally, physically, spiritually, and mentally. I have disciplines in my life to help me to continue to run the Christian life. That's the analogy he uses, and that's the, that's the word picture that he wants us to see. That what we do and what we put into our body and how we spend our time and the habits we have matter. So I'll end with this. If I were to give any sort of, of conclusion from this passage, it would be this. Choose what you want most over what you want now. And form habits that bring you there. Choose what you want most over what you want now. And form habits to bring you there. You know, when we break things down, it, it, it becomes much more clear to see. We kind of get lost in the clouds of, of some spiritual things and some biblical things and some personal things and, and financial things and relational things and our health and the diagnosis from the doctor and I need to go to the doctor and I've got this going. We get so lost in those things and oftentimes we get so stuck in the clouds where we can't actually see what it is we're supposed to see. We live the Christian life and we form disciplines because we're already saved. Because when we have these disciplines, it helps us to better connect with God to have more energy to live the life that he's blessed us with. We form disciplines and habits to help restore relationships because it's through relationships that we're supposed to be sharing the gospel. We form habits and we become disciplined when it comes to our finances so we can be faithful and generous with our finances so that we can contribute to kingdom work around the world. It's not like a boxer beating the air. It's not like a runner who doesn't know that there's a finish line. 
It's with intentionality. It's with focus. It's with the presence of God. Would you stand?